Amen. Well, I love the seasons. How many of you get allergies? Okay, a few of you. Um, so maybe you enjoy this part of the seasons. I love the fall. I love the spring. All of these seasons are great. Watching a leaf run down the street just with no thought at all is so pretty. Like it just going through the wind, going with the wind, doing whatever it wants. Isn't that pretty cool? These buds coming out and blossoming, the bees going where they need to go to make all of this work, and raindrops. We've had a lot of rain. It just seems so haphazard, this rain and this, all these drops just falling beautifully. Snowfall. But if you look at each one of those leaves, they're not just there accidentally. They're not just there haphazardly. They are there on purpose. They are doing the purpose. It looks like they're really free and unhindered and un encumbered but they have a purpose that leaf is dying there and it's going to decay and it's going to bring nutrients to the trees that will in turn blossom and give us oxygen it's all a part of what it's all a part of their created purpose all of this is all a part of their created purpose you look around you these trees are waving their hands and they're saying glory these flowers are blossoming. They're saying, glory, we're doing what we were made to do. The bees are buzzing and they're saying, glory. The birds are chirping and they're saying, glory. The oceans, waves, the, the sun and moon, all of it's crying glory to our creator. Except for humanity. Humanity, in many cases, are doing whatever they want to do. And to be honest, if we are not careful, our church, you and I individually, might get into that rebellion setting. I'm doing whatever I want to do today. Today's about me. Today's about my purpose. Purpose-driven life in the sense of anything that helps me. Right? Reading that concept outside of the purpose of God is idolatry. Well, what if I were to live for purpose higher than me, the purpose for which I was created? What if our church was to live out the purpose for which it was made? Well, we would be doing what we're giving this text, what this text talks to us about. In fact, as we were thinking through what to use as a communication of what our church purpose is, we really came close to siding with this a couple verses, a couple words in this text. But they really presuppose being Bible-driven. Uh, so we went with Bible-driven. But honestly, making disciples of the nations was very close to that. So let's jump into the text. And we're just going to take our time walking through this. We're going to run out of time, and that's okay. Uh, I, just, I do want us to let each of these words and each of these phrases kind of hit us and, and bind on our conscience that this isn't just Tim's idea. This isn't just something that a bunch of church organizations got behind. But you know what? This is important because God's word says it. And if, we're, if we let the impact of what we've been considering from Christmas to Easter hit us, we would recognize that Jesus is building all of his life and ministry 
up to share this with us. And so it's really the application, right? If you think of, we mentioned the resurrection, the hinge on which the gospel turns. Now that we turn the page, this is where we go with what Jesus has told us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mitch, you were getting right there today. (laughs) As Mitch was sharing that, I was like, boy, he's preaching my sermon here. And it's okay. The Spirit's doing that. Okay, so let's jump into this text. Uh, Matthew 28. Well, here's where we are in that series, and, and I think what we'll do is we'll continue this, but we'll just, we'll just approach it kind of more, more uh, slide by slide than, than going through it. But, but what is this, right? This is the ascension. That's misspelled, isn't it? Is that misspelled? Maybe not. Um, it sure seems like. It seems like it should have a T in there. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Andrew? It's good? Pastor Andrew is my spell check. All right, so we have the ascension, death, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then today we're considering the ascension. But, but what I want to do is, is just real quickly, we're not going to get into this. This is a good summary of all the appearances of Jesus before he ascended. There are several different appearances of Jesus. We looked at the, the empty tomb. There's appearance to these ladies. And at least seven different ladies are mentioned in the different gospels that Jesus appeared to. This is from Zondervan Bible Background Commentary, and I agree with this kind of breakdown. But there are several references. If you follow John's Gospel, you recognize that a lot of these references were on Super Sundays. That that Jesus appeared, actually he chose to appear a lot of times on Sundays to the, the disciples. And that's why we do this, because he resurrected on Sunday, and then as Jesus, you follow John's writing, he started meeting with the believers, not on Sabbath, on Saturday, but on Sunday. And so that's where the church got that. It's from Jesus' own meeting with them. But he met with the two disciples, Peter, Jerusalem. The upper room he met several times. But what's interesting here is before this ascension that we read about in Acts 1, we're going to look at Acts 1 here in a couple weeks, but but before that he met a couple times with these these disciples in, in two big ways. This mountain in Galilee is the one we're considering today, okay? And Jesus kept telling them, we're going to meet together in this day, so, so set this on your calendar, we'll meet together there. I, I wonder if these two were the same. I'm not sure about that, but, but I, I kind of lump these two together, the one that we read today in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul talks about, and then this Mount of Olives in Acts 1 where Jesus ascends, all that to say, there's, there's a lot of appearances of Jesus in between these two times. And this is one of them. This is one of them I, uh, in Galilee as he appears. So let's jump into this text. Um, the followers' initial response is what we'll look at in verses 16 and 17. Get quickly through that. And then we'll get on to the leaders, or Jesus as the commander's uh, great commission. His great command. Okay, So let's look at this followers' initial response in this great commission before the ascension, uh, Christ's great commission. Well, first of all, we find them following orders. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And as you remember on Easter Sunday that we saw that Jesus told the ladies, tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. And he told them, meet me in Galilee. Uh, So we kind of have the first members meeting. All right, he's like, okay, here's the agenda, here's who I'm inviting, and here's where we're going to meet. And it's like Jesus sets aside this mountain 
getaway for these followers that he's had. Uh, Proceed to Galilee to the mountain which I have designated. All right, now what mountain was that? Well, we're not quite sure. Uh, he doesn't say what mountain, because uh, right, we didn't show up. But traditionally, they say Mount Tabor. Um, but, but as I looked at it, uh, I kind of side with this mountain up on the upper west side, this mountain range here. But either way, uh, they say probably not Mount Tabor because this is a, along a main trade route. Um, and he's probably wanting them to remember all the different times that he spent with them in Galilee along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so Jesus is saying, remember what we did together? He's met with, with Peter and confronted him about his fishing, right? And so he's made those really cool appearances, and I, I would love to get into each one of them, but we're kind of just continuing on with the series here and, and summarizing it with this appearance. Um, so he's already done some things with them on the Sea of Galilee, and now it's this mountaintop where he gets all the 11. I think the ladies are there too. So you have the lady followers, female followers, and these 11, 11 disciples. Of course, you don't have Judas. And they're meeting on this mountaintop to listen to Jesus. Kind of his last members meeting, getting them organized for their marching orders. Now, how do they respond to Jesus? First of all, they listen to him. Uh, they, they do go to the mountaintop. But look at what happens. They, they're following orders, and then they worship him. Uh, it, it, it seems as though they're just there on the mountaintop, uh, right, surrounded by beautiful nature, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting, and they see Jesus walking to them. I don't see him appearing out of thin air. He's done that to them in the past. But it, what, what you're, the way it's written, it's, it's like Jesus starts walking up the mountain toward them, and they see him coming. And as he's coming, they see him and they worship him. They fall down on their face before Jesus coming into their presence. This is a theme in Matthew. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. We won't look at each one of them. But all the way in Matthew 2, the Magi, right, the wise men, fell down and worshipped him. A leper in Matthew 8 fell down and worshipped him. Matthew 9, a synagogue official came down and worshipped him. Matthew 14, the disciples do when they see Jesus calm the storm, they worship him. This Gentile lady from Cana worships him. Matthew 15. Matthew 20, the mother of Zebedee worships him. And then verse 9 of Matthew 28, that's the chapter we're in, the ladies also bow down and worship him. So this is something that continually is happening to Jesus. But here we find the disciples really latching on to who Jesus is. He's not just son of man. He is son of God, and we should bow down and worship him. So we have one of the first worship services there on the mountain as they fall down and worship. Do all of them worship? Well, it seems from the text that there's a hesitating few. But some were doubtful. Right? So you have the 11 and probably these ladies. And as Jesus is coming up, some of them immediately fall down. And then Matthew says, but you know what? Not everybody did. Some of them were a little hesitant. Uh, 
Some were doubtful. I like the translation, some were doubtful. Uh, some of the translations say some doubted, and it's the idea as, as though they did not believe in Jesus. That's not the idea. The idea is we, they, some of them were still a little tentative about bowing down and worshiping him. Some were tentative. Right? Some were hesitating at that point. Right, so it's not necessarily that there's this exclamation point. Can you believe it? Some, some were not believing. The, the idea is they're just still a little hesitant. This is used of Peter as he is walking on the storm waves. And then he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why were you doubtful? Right, so I do see that. That's where they are. I mean, Jesus is rocking their world view. Right? Everything they've been taught as a child about the Messiah, he is throwing that upside down. Alright, and so they're walking with him. They're the only 20 in the world that are walking with him. So let's be careful not to throw them under the bus. They're the only ones in the boat at that point. To a certain extent. And so everything is going up and down, and they're like, wow, do we, do we do the same thing? Can we see from these texts that the Messiah would not just be son of man, but son of God? All right, and so, so there was some tentativeness, but it's almost like, yeah, but at least they were walking out and following him and obeying what he said. There is this, some were doubtful. Maybe we could understand that from our Christology class that we're going through. He was born of Mary, fully man. He was born of the Virgin Mary, fully God. He went to a wedding party with us, fully man. But he turned the water into wine, fully God. We saw him fall into a deep sleep in our boat, fully man. We saw him wake up and rebuke the storm, fully God. We saw him cry tears of sadness at Lazarus' funeral, fully man. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, fully God. We saw him arrested by soldiers in the garden after he had cried great tears before the Father, fully man. When the soldiers got too close, we saw him say, I am, ego eimi, Yahweh. And the soldiers fall to the ground as dead men, fully God. We saw him die, fully man. We see him raised from the grave, fully God. So, th so they're trying to, trying to wrap their minds around us, and we still are to this day. How is this possible? One person, two natures, hypostatic union, these two natures unmixed, fully man, fully God. And so they're trying to grasp it, and they're coming along, and so Jesus needs to help them with it. And that's what he does in verses 18 to 20. So let's take a minute with this, okay? Matthew 28 is my, one of my favorite passages. It's kind of like a life passage. This is why I moved to Queens. This is really why I moved to Queens some 18 years ago. I guess I moved to Brooklyn first, and then I found out Queens was better because of this, okay? This is the best place in the world to live, in my opinion, because of this verse, 
All right, so let's look at it. Christ's great command. Christ's great command. And so Jesus comes up and speaks to them. He doesn't say stop worshiping. He comes up and says, you got it, pretty much. Okay? Look at, we're going to look at five things about this command. Today we're only going to get to three. Five things about this command. And I want our church to digest this. These, this is our purpose. And, and if we would look at it correctly, this is actually our purpose, not just as a church, but in one sense, it's our purpose individually. As we live out this command, we are living out worship. We're doing what we were made to do, giving him the worth that he deserves by following his commands. Okay? So here's the basis of the command, and this is important to get to. Why in the world do I need to listen to Jesus? Why in the world do I need to do what he tells me to do? Well, look at the basis for it. And I say it's the basis because verse 19 is the command. He's going to say, go, therefore, because of what I said in verse 18, that's the basis for why you need to listen to verse 19. So let's look at the basis for this command. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's the basis for us to follow Jesus' marching orders for us and find our purpose as a little leaf in this cosmic command. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. What is given? All authority. To whom is it given? To Jesus Christ. All authority. Uh, what I did in my Bible is I circled all the alls of this. That's why I say this is kind of a universal statement. Look at this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. All right, so this is, this is a universe, some universal statements in here. The first one is that all authority belongs to Jesus, right? All the authority, all the authority belongs to Jesus. Some commands have exceptions. Right turn on red after stop, but not in the five boroughs, right? Alternate side parking in Brooklyn, you can double park. In Queens, you can't. Some of these commands have exceptions. They have specifications for place, jurisdiction. Jesus says all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. All. All authority. Authority. Translated power, right? The King James word power. I think I saw 71 times it's translated authority in like... 12 times it's translated power. Um, but So it's, it's authority. You understand how those two are related. Authority, power. If you ask someone, what, what authority do you have to do this? Right? You see Jesus casting out the money changers, and they say, what authority do you have? He's showing great power and strength, but they're wondering, who says you can do that? Who gives you the authority to do that? Um, you know, maybe a few years ago, this one MTA employee gave me a hard time every time I was passing out tracks 
in the subway. It's something I just love to do. And, and he'd give me a hard time. The same guy, he'll see his face. And he would say, what if, like, why, you're not allowed to do this. And I would always say, no, you're su the subway MTA website says I can do it. I have the authority, and it's from, from you. Right? You give me the authority. I had to print it out and show it to him. Who gives you the authority? It's not that I, like, I had power to do it, but did I have authority to do it? I could have said, look at Matthew 28. I have all authority to do this. And you can't tell me what to do because Jesus told me to do this and, and he has all authority, every jurisdiction, in heaven and on earth. All power, all authority, in heaven and on earth. There's no demonic realm over which Jesus does not have full authority. If you live in fear of the demonic realm, you need to get over that. I realize we live, we, we are not able to fight Satan or any demonic realm. But Jesus' authority casts that out completely. In heaven and on earth, in, in anywhere in between, there's no planet on which Jesus is not complete, completely authoritative. Jesus has all authority. Now, we got to take a minute with this. In fact, if you have your Bible, it would be good to turn over there. there Jesus is saying something very significant here. This is a prophecy that he is fulfilling. Uh, if you look back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, Jesus, I personally believe this is an already not yet type prophecy. Jesus is claiming that in one sense, this has already happened and he is fulfilling it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, Daniel has a, a perplexing vision, a perplexing prophecy prophecy he says i kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man this is written i think 700 years before jesus daniel um it's written hundreds of years before jesus he says one like the son of man this is why jesus always called himself the son of man he's talking about this passage I kept looking in the mighty visions, behold, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up, he ascended, he came up to the ancient of days, and was presented before him, and to him, this one like the son of man, was given, this is our word, right? The Greek translation of the Hebrew is the same word, was given authority, dominion. Glory and a kingdom that all the nations, all the people groups, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Now you continue on there, and there is fighting after that point. And then at the end of Daniel 7, there is an eternal kingdom. Right? We can't get to all the details there except to say that Jesus is this one, this son of man, who is given all authority. And so as Jesus says this, actually continue to read in Daniel 7, he is called the Most High. This son of man and his followers are the followers of the Most High. He is the Most High who comes before the Ancient of Days. And so Jesus is able to say, I am the son of man. To me is given all authority, all rule, all power over all the nations, 
And so you have to listen to what I say. I am the one who has all authority. God himself has given me all authority. All judgment has passed to him. Right? He gives permission slips to all of us as his students. Jesus is the one. Right? So you think, who is really the one who has all the permission, all the authority in Russia, in the UN, in NATO, in Ukraine, in the United States? Where is all the authority? Jesus can say, I have all authority. You think it's placed in Manhattan, or you think it's placed in Geneva, or you think it's placed in Queens, but Christ has all the authority. Now, as he hashes that out, it's hard for us, right? Because it's an already not yet. But what he does is he shows his authority in his children, right? His brothers, in one sense, following his commands, Making other people followers of his commands. Showing his kingship. Showing his control. And as we do that, we actually live out a greater kingdom than any other kingdom. It overthrew Rome. It overthrows empires that hate God. I'm reading back through this one. I really, really appreciate Richard Wormbrand. You know, he's the founder of Voice of the Martyrs Organization. He spent 14 years in prison in Romania under communist persecution. So difficult to read back through that. It is very difficult. Brings you to tears every other page. As you find Christ's suffering church standing. Told, do not preach. But they know who has the authority, so they preach. And this is in prison. And he says, we loved preaching. They loved beating us for preaching. So people were happy. They would get beat, they would be preaching in prison, get beat, come back, and pick up right back where they were preaching. Where did I take? Where did I leave off? The Lord used the torture to show he has the real authority. Love what his wife told him when faced with the thought of future persecution. There's this meeting of 4,000 religious leaders of all stripes and denominations, and they are meeting to vote to make Joseph Stalin their president. Sabrina, Sabina says, Richard, stand up. Wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They're spitting in his face. And he said, if I do so, you lose your husband. And she replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. He knew who had the authority. They started getting books, picture of Karl Marx, religion is the opium of the people. Inside, they would put the gospel. They'd pass them out, pass them out. Who has the authority to print these things? Who has the authority to persecute these Christians? In prison in Romania, one of the men Wreck would blasphemously cry that he's God as he persecuted these men. You know I'm God. I have the power of your life and death. The one who is in heaven cannot decide to keep you in life. Everything depends on me. If I wish you live, if I wish you're killed, I am God, he would cry out. Grecu responded, Perhaps 
you say that because in you there's a desire to be like God. God's made a way for you to be like him through Christ. Christ can change you to be more like him, more like him. You can take on his character. And he starts preaching the gospel to him. That man bowed his knee in salvation. Who's the one who has the authority? Who's the one who's in control here? It's not the persecutor. Because it's the spirit and soul that Christ's kingdom reigns. The persecuting Saul of Tarsus went out with the papers of authority. But he ran into Jesus who tore up those papers. And he started preaching as Paul the same gospel he was persecuting. Who is the authority? It's Christ. And so he can tell us what we need to do. It's based on his command. Our church should not decide what it wants to do. I realize we're a Baptist church. We vote on things. But the issue is, what does the head want? Pastor Andrew and I are constantly on our knees. Lord, what do you want? He's the head. We're just shepherds, stinky shepherds, trying to serve. Because this is Christ's church. This is his kingdom. And this universal authority extends to everything in our lives. On the basis of that, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? You have all authority. I just need to make sure I'm doing what you want me to do. And so he tells us in this verse what we should do. Look at the the command itself in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. I'm going to get quickly through this. Go, therefore. You may have looked at this or heard this before. Uh, The command itself, the imperative is make disciples. So it's kind of like go and make disciples. Going, make disciples. Going, make disciples. And so I'd like to say that that go, therefore, is the movement of the command. Um, The command itself is to make disciples. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But, But it's almost like this. Right, you're on the mountain, you're in this members meeting, it's beautiful surrounding, and Jesus is like, we're not going to stay here. We're going to get going. You, you got you to take some initiative here, take some movement. Christianity, I think, like, maybe not, but if, not, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we're just kind of stagnant. We're sitting. We're just like doing the motions. Our heart gets apathetic. You got take some movement, progression, get up and go. Right? The, the church is not about sitting in pews. Right? Now don't leave right yet. Right? We, but, but we're about ready to go. We're gonna have fellowship meal, we're gonna have fun as we encourage each other. But then, like, it's time to go. It's time to get this. Our purpose. He's not going to leave us, but in one sense, he's going to leave them physically. He's going to give the spirit. We're going to talk about that. But you know what? This going takes some going. Making disciples means I got to get out there. It takes some planning. It takes time. It takes initiative. It's not easy. Our church needs to get going. Right? Sometimes we can just paint the walls really pretty, put nice smiles. Wait till someone asks me if, about my belief in Jesus. That's not it. It's get going. God uses the means of salt 
and light. Right? That's not under a bushel. That's not in the salt shaker. It's got to be going. And then the command itself. Going, as you're going, therefore, based on his authority, and this is where we'll be done with this one, make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples. Right? It's a teaching term, the idea of a pupil, a teacher. Not necessarily our Western culture of lecturer and listener. The idea would be more like an apprentice. Make apprentices, but in this context, of a rabbi. Make, make understudies of a rabbi. About 10 years ago, our church went through In the Dust of the Rabbi by Ray Vanderlaan. It's a Focus on the Family video series. Really good. I think you can get it for free on YouTube, but uh, I'll try to share that. It's really good. It really gets into this concept well in like five hours, right? So I'm trying to do the word in 50 seconds here. The, the idea would be a rabbi and his Talmudim, right? A rabbi would be approached by a young man in the village and, and said, can I study? Can I study under you? Can I be your understudy? And, and eh, your grades aren't high enough. Uh, I don't know. Like, you got this problem. You got this quirk. But, but that the rabbi would allow the, the top of the class to start being his understudy. Maybe the top, of, the top three of ten years that be his, his pupils. And they, and they did everything that that rabbi did. They would start to walk like that rabbi, talk like that rabbi. Jesus had his Talmudim. He did it differently. He went to them. He didn't choose the top of the class. He chose these, these rough, young fishermen tax collector. And this is what this is saying. I need more Talmudim. I need more followers. I need more people to take up their cross, die to themselves, and do whatever I say. Start walking like me, talking like me, eating like me. This is what Jesus is calling. Make Talmudim. Make disciples. Make followers. And that's why we summarize it as Let's all follow him. Let's follow this Jewish rabbi who is the son of God, who is the son of man, who is king of all, has all authority to command us to leave our nets. Often it's to use your nets to follow him. The action is to make disciples. What is the object of the action? Make disciples of whom? All the nations. At that point, he lost them. This was so foreign to their thinking. Everybody's Jewish at this point in the Gospels. Everybody's Jewish. Everything they did was entirely Jewish. They all went to the feast. Jesus went to the synagogue with them. He preached and taught in the synagogue. In fact, Matthew 10, if you're taking notes, you could look at Matthew 10. Let me just turn over there. The first commissioning, when he told them to go out... He said, do not go to the Gentiles. Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. He says the same word, go, in the same way, same word, nations, Gentiles, but it says, do not go. Right? That's what they've been doing for the last year, not going to the Gentiles. 
they're, they're, they're thinking this, the Gentiles, the only way they're going to be involved in this is paying taxes to Messiah King who's ruling at Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to rule in their heart and I want everybody to bow to me. All the nations, all the people groups of the world need to bow to me. Right now, Jesus has been reaching Jewish Gentile people, right? The Samaritan woman, uh, several times he does reach. But, but even in Matthew, he, he talks to this one Gentile lady who comes to him and he says, I, I'm come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she says, but the dogs can eat crumbs, right? That, right? that was their mindset. Gentiles get nothing. And Jesus is changing all that. How is that going to happen? These 11 guys, they just know a couple languages. How in the world are they going to take this to the other side of the world, like the United States of America? How is this going to happen? This is going to be supernatural. We're going to see what happens. God's going to allow them to speak in foreign languages. The Spirit is going to give them the ability to speak in a language they've never learned as a sign saying, this is no longer supposed to stay just in Jerusalem and Galilee. I want this in Rome. I want this in Greece. I want this in Africa. I want this all over the world. And it goes. And here we are in the middle of the, the melting pot of the world. Richard Wormbrand said, when Christ was crucified, one of his hand was stretched toward the west, one to the east. God's grace, this is, this is what we get to do here in Queens. You know, there are, there are places in Queens where there are people groups that have died out from where they're from, and they only live in Queens. You cannot reach them in the country where they're from. This is the most diverse spot in the world. This is where the nations have gathered, and I do believe, right, right you say, well, American Dream and all of that. I believe it's because of the gospel. Because you read the book of Revelation, there's worshipers from every people group on earth. And we're not doing a good enough job spreading this word around. So the Lord says, okay, you're not going well enough, so I'm going to go them to your backyard. Grace Baptist Church. I'm going to put them in Rego Park, Briarwood, Jamaica, Fresh Meadows, Forest Hills. This is the world. And he's going to say, now are you going to do this? Are you going to see this is your purpose? There are people who are spending their life on just amassing wealth. What a horrible way to live. Amassing fun times, baseball games. When people live to hit a baseball, they get paid millions of dollars. I like baseball. I'm not trying to whatever. But it's like, is this what we're living for? We were made to worship God. Right? Having a family, right? Having right financial stability, eating good food, all this is fun stuff that the Lord gives us to enjoy as we worship Him. But we're made to worship Him and see around us those who do not know Him and encourage them to follow Him. In closing, we need to be done. We're going to do three and four next week. Well, actually, He actually shows us how to do this. And gives us some comforting truth along the way. Um, and we'll look at that next time. But, but let me just ask you, heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's just think through this. Jesus has all authority in all of Queens. And, and one of his...
closing commands. This is the, the pulpit of his life. He gives this message to the church. And we'll see again, does, does it again in Acts 1. Um, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's going to give you the ability to make disciples of the nations. And I just, I'm just going to ask this. Right, you have a lot of purposes, a lot of things we're doing in life. But, but at what point right, are, are you feeding into that? So glad you're at church. So glad. But, but are we a part of that? We just think through some very specific ways we do that. We just, we just graciously love people. We graciously love people. We show Jesus to them by, by serving them. But a lot of it, it will take a relationship. I was so struck by this this week, and I, I don't mean to be dramatic, but... I know one of the ladies in our community walked past our Friday night service. Um, you all know this. It's in national news. Walked past our Good Friday service. We had been doing evangelistic cards on her street earlier and the next day, and she, she was murdered. You all saw that. Brutally murdered. And I'm glad our church is here. Right, but, but I want us to be a part of, of, of sharing this message of Jesus with everyone in our community. With you, uh, maybe those of you who are watching online, we would all know him and love him and make him known. Lord, help us with this, we pray. We do get distracted by so many good things. So many good purposes that you've given to us to enjoy. Lord, thank you for the, not just that we can eat, but we can eat foods that taste good. And we can exercise and we can enjoy the beautiful creation that you've given us around us. But Lord, help us to really take, take stock of our lives and, and find out how we can um, obey your command. Lord, with, with the folks that we communicate with, that we speak to. Lord, help us to encourage them to follow you. Encourage their hearts to be drawn after you. Um, Lord, to take this command seriously. And, and I'd like to do that just now as we close. If, if there are any of you who have not followed Jesus, maybe you're watching online, uh, or maybe you're just, just hearing this for the first time, Jesus is all authoritative. He has all power. And he commands all of us to bow to him in worship and trust his sacrifice for our sins. So let me encourage you to bow to him now and, and call out. He hears your voice. He hears your heart, though. And say, Jesus, save me and make me your servant. Make me your follower. Help me to follow you consistently. Let me encourage you, let me beg you, beg you, plead with you not to resist his call because he's already in charge. Not, don't resist his call now. Submit to it. Believe in him. Turn from sin. Trust in him as Savior. And you'll find a, a peace that passes all understanding. Um, even now, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. 
Let's all respond to this message in our heart. Think through ways. I realize Jesus is going to give us some very practical ways to obey this command next Sunday. So we'll follow that out. But let's just think through and pray through. Lord, help, help me. Give me grace to think through specifically how to make disciples of the people around me. And, and if, if you've already given serious thought to that, then just pray that our church will do a better job at this. Okay? And, and let's worship the Lord in that way. In a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer. I'll be standing in the back lobby and happy to pray with any of you like spiritual counsel or just prayer.